Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. What I'd like to do this morning is, if you have your Pew Bible or your, your Bible app, or um, your own Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We've been walking through the epistle to the Ephesians, and last week we looked at the relationship of the believer to works, good works. Good works do not save us. This is clearly stated in several of the articles of religion, the 39 articles of religion. We do not owe God, we we owe God everything. He owes us nothing. Good, Good works do not earn acceptance into heaven. Good works, Jesus teaches us, is the minimum standard of what we owe God. Perfect obedience makes us merely a humble servant. But good works are done out of a heart of gratitude for God. Good works are done to demonstrate our gratitude for what he's done for us. So Paul moves out of chapter 2, verse 10, where he's dealing with, with the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. And if you, if you uh, hear that phrase, it's reminiscent of a phrase that we pray every week during communion, during, during the Eucharist, that we're thanking God and helping it. This is the prayer after communion, where we thank God for being part of the mystical company and that he would help us to do those good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. Paul now is going into another phase of the biblical story. Really everything in the Bible is a reaction or a manifestation of what happened in the garden. Everything in the Bible is God trying to correct what happened in the garden or man manifesting the reality of what took place in the garden. Many of us, when we think of our relationship to Jesus Christ, when we think of our relationship to the Father, when we think of our relationship to the Holy Spirit, when we think of our relationship to the baptismal font, to the communion altar, We have this notion of, I just want to get to heaven. And so for us, the goal of the gospel is to escape hell and to get to heaven. That's not God's goal. That's not God's goal. That's a result, it's a good benefit of the gospel. That we will escape what we deserve. And that God will give us what we do not deserve. But one of the main emphases of the gospel 
is the restoring of peace and unity and communion between each other and between God and us. So look at Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the, hand, in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is one of the main emphases, one of the main parts of the the biblical story, the biblical narrative the theology of what God is working out in history. And notice here, he uses the word remember twice, and then he brings in that but. But. And we remember in chapter 4, God butts in. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal of church. That's the goal of this invitation. That's the goal of Christ dying on the cross, Christ raising from the dead, Christ being incarnate, Christ being circumcised, Christ being baptized, Christ doing miracles, all the entire narrative of the scripture is to bring humanity back into communion with God so that we might sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Paul wants the Christians in Ephesus to remember, to remember two things. And he wants us to remember two things. And here are those two things. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Now, I don't know if anyone here, like me, has done an ancestry DNA test. I have. There's no percentage of Jewish heritage in the Malone family. I don't know if you have any Jewish heritage. So in the flesh, I am a Gentile. And by that very fact, I am outside of God's grace. I am alienated to God. I'm outside the commonwealth of Israel. I'm a stranger to the covenant of promise because of birth. When I was born, I was that way. So this has nothing to do with what I've accomplished, what I've done. It's a fact of nature. And God knows that fact of nature. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to reverse that fact of nature. Alienation began. Alienation between family members, 
between races, between members of a society, and ultimately between us and God took place when Adam decided to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He made himself God at that moment. He decided he was in charge. He decided he could find good and evil without God. And at that moment, life has been marked by estrangement, alienation, the lack of the promises of God, and being separated from Christ. So the first thing Paul wants us to know is that unless you've been born into the commonwealth of Israel, the Jewish nation, you were not part of God's family. But if you read chapter 1 and 2, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, you see also the Jews weren't much better. They were part of the commonwealth of Israel, part of the people of promise, but they willfully and continually rebelled generation after generation after generation. And so right away, Paul starts this section by hammering the law, telling us that we're separated from God. And without Jesus Christ, God wants us to remember that. This is why it is so vitally important for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because to be separated from Christ is to be separated from his love, to be separated from his promises, and to be separated from him for eternity in hell. That's a long time, eternity. And as Anglicans, we have to ask ourselves, do we actually believe the Bible and what it says about hell? Who doesn't want to believe in heaven? That's easy. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But Jesus talked more about hell than he did just about any other topic other than money. Jesus talked about money and hell the most. And it's important to be a worshiping community. But it's also important to invite our neighbors and our friends to restore the relationship, that broken relationship, and to restore their relationship with Christ so that they can be part of that covenant family of promise. The second thing Jesus wants, Paul wants us to remember is in verse 12. Remember that you were at, at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God. This, that is not a good place to be. Now, it's not our job to answer the question, what about those people over there who've never heard? That's God's business. But we live in a, in a country and in a culture that has heard the gospel knows the name of Jesus. And the church has failed over and over again by getting off track, by being inconsistent in its witness, by not really sharing and showing who Jesus really is.
So Paul wants us to remember that by nature, unless you're Jewish, you are not part of the community of promise. Secondly, he wants us to remember that we are outside of the saving work of Christ by nature. People are not born Christians. People are born again Christians. And that born again experience begins at the baptismal font and is fulfilled when a person by faith trusts in the work of Jesus Christ. He wants us to remember those two things, but then look at verse 13. And this is the good news. But now in Christ, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why do we call this ritual that we do every week communion? It's a co-union. Because we're being brought near. We're being hugged. We're being nurtured. We're being nestled. We're brought near to Jesus. How? Through his broken body and by his shed blood. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by faith are we saved. And so I hope as we look at these, these are, these are merely invitations. Invitations to hear the good news. Invitations to investigate about Jesus. Invitations to walk closer with Jesus Christ through his body and blood and by his word. Our lives should be lives of gratitude, thanking him for what he's done for us. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, you who were once off have now been brought near, brought near by the blood of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.